Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Uh, We are right smack dab in the middle of a series called This Is My Year. Uh, And just to to remind you, because we we had to take a week off last week, uh, most of us made some kind of New Year's resolutions uh, at the beginning of January, and I just want to read some depressing statistics to you. According to the University of Scranton, they conducted a study that discovered that only 8% of Americans will actually keep those New Year's resolutions. And so the fail rate is off of the charts. Another company uh, came out with a statistic that discovered that by January 12th, uh, most people with health or fitness resolutions have already failed. So we're well past that. Uh, We've all kind of failed on our New Year's resolutions, probably because we kind of half-heartedly make them. And so we decided as a staff that we want 2020 to to be different. And I'm not talking about you taking hot yoga or eating kale for the rest of your life. Um, I'm talking about on a spiritual level. We want 2020 to be your year. Uh, I would love this to be a watermark year in your faith with God. And so uh, I, I pray, our leadership prays that 2020 will be this year of growth and purpose for you. Uh, A big biblical word, a a year of sanctification, a year of pursuing uh, the holiness of God. And so before we get into the message, uh, I want to inform you slash encourage you slash challenge you uh, to go through our foundations class. If you have not already done so, uh, they are online at elevatefoundations.com. You take uh, this sermon series, you take this foundations class, you bathe it with the Word of God and prayer, and I promise you 2020 can, can be a year of huge, immense growth for you in your walk with God. We're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 to to start. This is kind of the cornerstone text for the entire series. And I'm going to be reading verses 5 through 9. Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 9. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates." Now, week one of this series, we kind of dug into the background of what all of this means um, to wear Scripture on your head and on your arm and write it on your doorpost. And so if you weren't here, I don't have time to go through all that again. I would encourage you to to go back and watch week one uh, so that you're brought up to speed. But we've been really honing in on verse 5 of the text. Where Moses, who writes Deuteronomy, simply says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. 
Now, I want you to understand that this is an imperative commandment from God. This is, God is not asking us here. He is commanding us. In fact, in the book of Matthew chapter 22, Jesus would quote this scripture. And after he's finished quoting this scripture, he tells us that this is the first and the greatest commandment. And so week one, we talked about what does it look like to love God with all of our hearts? Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about what it looks like to love God with all of your soul. Now, uh, the discussion, of course, has to begin with the definition. Uh, what exactly is a soul? Uh, and more importantly, what does, the, what does the Bible mean when it talks about the human soul? You know, in, in our day and in our culture and in our world, uh, we often use the word soul as an adjective. Uh, we use it as a, as a descriptive word. Uh, for instance, uh, some of you may have grown up listening to soul music. Okay, that's an adjective to describe a, a type of music. So, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Luther, Vandross. We know that James Brown was called the godfather of soul music. It's, a, it's an adjective. It's a descriptive word to describe a type of music. This will give away my age a little bit, but I remember as a kid looking forward to watching Soul Train. Uh, it was this TV show uh, that displayed the newest and the latest soul music. Um, we use the word soul to describe certain types of, of food, a genre of food. We would say soul food. It's this wonderful, not good for you at all, but delicious variety of food. You get some collard greens and some mac and cheese, throw some hot sauce up on that. Mmm, soul food. All right. We use the term soul as an adjective to, to maybe say soul mate. Right? So when we do that, we're usually trying to say something about the depth of that relationship. She is my soulmate. In other words, I love her right down to my core being. And so, so many times we will use the word soul as an adjective. But in this passage in Deuteronomy 6, and biblically speaking, the word soul is not an adjective, it is a noun. So we would say it this way, every one of you in here, every person in the world, every human being has a soul, possesses a soul. And the soul is the part of us that defines who we really are. Uh, the essence of the biblical definition of soul means our life, our personality, the inner self, and our identity. It's where we make our decisions and our choices and where we ultimately decide uh, on our lifestyle and our behavior. So think of your soul as the core you, who you are deep down inside. And to love the Lord with all of your soul means to love Him the way you live, in the choices you make, in the behavior and the lifestyles that you adopt. Okay, so our soul is unseen, but I want you to make no mistake about it, it is just as real as our physical bodies. By our soul, we are experiencing things on the psychological realm. In fact, the Greek word in the Bible used for soul is the root word where we get our word psychology. 
Okay, and so my soul, your soul, is really comprised of three different things. These three things converge together to make up a human soul. Uh, and here's what they are real quickly. Uh, number one, your soul is comprised of your emotions, of your mind, I mean, uh, of your mind, excuse me, uh, which enables you to do things like think, reason, consider, remember. Your soul, my soul, is also comprised of our emotions, uh, which enable us to have feelings like happiness, sorrow, anger, relief, compassion. And then the third component of our soul is our will, which enables us to choose and make decisions, good or bad decisions. And so, our mind, our emotion, and our will converge together to make up our soul, which is our personality who we really are within, who we are when nobody's looking, who we are right down to our core being, okay? And so you, <clears throat> you may have heard the phrase, hey, stay away from that guy. He is rotten to the core. Or hey, you don't want to date her. She is rotten to the core. If a person is rotten to the core, um, they behave in a way that's, that's not honest or, or not moral. So meaning down, meaning down to their core being, in the recesses of their mind, in the crevices of their heart, they are evil to the core, and that evil will be displayed or seen in their actions or their will. So let me just give you a quick case study on this, and then we'll move on. Uh, Ted Bundy was an American serial killer who kidnapped, raped, and murdered numerous young women and girls during the 1970s. Before his execution in 1989, he confessed to 30 homicides that he committed in seven states between 1974 and 1978. Now, the true number of victims is unknown and probably higher. But during this confession, before his execution, Bundy stated that he took pleasure in watching another human being being in pain. He took pleasure and watching these women suffer. It put a smile on his face when they begged for their lives. He took pleasure in the fact that he had control over his victims to the point of death, and then even after the point of death, when he would dismember their bodies and, and, and store them in different places and then go back and, and visit these body parts. Okay? Bundy stated in this interview that he was the most cold-hearted SOB that anyone would ever meet. Okay, so think about this for a second. His mind and his emotions were dark, and they converged together to manifest themselves in his will. His mind and his emotions willed him to callously rape and murder a minimum of 30 young women. So down to his core, down to his soul, we would say Ted Bundy is evil. Okay, but then there are people who appear to be good in their soul, good-souled people, good-hearted people. Billy Graham, 
You know, who could say anything bad about Billy Graham? This man won tens of thousands of people to Christ. He, he showed the love of Jesus everywhere he went to everyone, not just when he was on stage leading crusades, but even if, even if he was in a private setting when no one was looking, he always displayed the love of Christ. Mother Teresa, always looking to help the poor and the powerless, whether it was leprosy colonies, orphanages, helping HIV victims, uh, she always showed love to people who were marginalized. So, so stay with me here. Mother Teresa, Billy Graham loved Jesus with their minds and their emotions, and it manifests itself in their will. They willed themselves to be loving. And so again, let me say that our souls make up who we really are. What really is going on deep down inside of us? And so you go back to Deuteronomy 6, 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart <clears throat> and with all of your soul and with all of your might. Now, <clears throat> what this verse is saying is love God with all of your heart, with your whole heart, but love him with all that's in you. Love him with everything that you've got at your core that will manifest itself by your actions. Love him with your core being. Love him with your mind and your emotions, and it will be evident in your actions. Jason, Jason DeRoche, professor at Midwestern Theological Seminary, says that to love God with your soul means, quote, love God with your passions, your hungers, your perceptions, and your thoughts, end of quote. So we're to love him with how we talk, with what we do with our hands, with how we utilize our gifts and our talents, with how we react to the challenges of life. Our entire being is to display that we love God. Dallas Willard said that if your soul is healthy, no external circumstances can destroy your life. If your soul is unhealthy, no external circumstances can redeem your life. And he is so right. So how do we do this? <clears throat> how do we love God with all of our soul? How do we love him with our core being, with our minds and our emotions that converge together to form our will? Well, let me offer you this morning three predominant ways to, to begin to love God with all of your soul. All right, three predominant ways to love God with all of your soul. Uh, number one, the first thing that we have to do if we're going to love God wholeheartedly with all of our soul is we've got to declutter our souls. Now, <clears throat> I don't know what it looks like in your house, but we have a drawer. I think we might have two now, maybe even three. In our kitchen, uh, that's the catch-all drawer. We would call it the junk drawer, right? And so ours is, are filled with like Nerf bullets and broken toys and half-eaten sandwiches. I don't know what's in there sometimes, right? Um, but it's, it's just full of clutter. And these are things that <clears throat> you don't really need, but you haven't really convinced yourself to throw them away and you got company coming over or something, so you just scoop them into that junk drawer. So most people have a drawer like that in their kitchen, or you might have an entire closet, or you might have an entire room you might even have an entire house that's just full of clutter. In my house, there are seven people that live there. Only two of us who know how to put things back where they go. 
Okay, and so it is a constant fight. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> it's a constant fight uh, against clutter. We're always fighting clutter. I, I don't particularly like it. It gets in my way. It somewhat stresses me out. Uh, I like to be able to move freely in my home. I have stepped on one too many Legos uh, being barefoot. And if you're a parent, you understand that. Okay? So, um, there are so many people that are trying to walk this faith walk with God, and they can't seem to connect simply because their souls are just junked up. They are cluttered up. And so we have to intentionally work to declutter our souls. Now, there's all kinds of things that can bring clutter to your soul, uh, but there are two things in modern day life that really serve to junk up, clutter up our souls. I preach on these all the time, but let me, let me I'm going to focus on these two things. Busyness and distraction. Busyness. You've heard me say this numerous times. We kind of wear our overtaxed schedules like badges of honor. We, we actually brag to each other about how busy we are with things that hold absolutely no value in God's kingdom and God's economy. And so we've got to work on retooling and reevaluating our schedule, weeding out busyness for the sake of just being busy. This is probably a really clumsy illustration, but <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever gone to Thanksgiving when it's not just like your immediate family or just maybe your in-laws where it's like a, a bigger gathering of extended people. Maybe there's 30 to 50 people there and you cram yourself and, and uh, whoever's got the biggest house, right? And, and so you're in there. And so every, everyone brings food. And so when you look, I mean, it looks like you're at Golden Corral. There's a smorgasbord of food, all right? And it's time to eat, and someone hands you a little flimsy paper plate about this big, right? And so you're looking, you're thinking, how in the world am I going to get all that food onto the, to this plate? And so you start down the line, and you have to make some decisions, all right, I can't fit all of this on my plate, not to mention I'm not going to be able to fit it all into my stomach, and so I'm going to have to kind of pick and choose what I put on my plate. So for me, I'm skipping right over the green bean casserole, man. Uh, I love green beans, but I don't like it with cream of mushroom soup and onion straws or whatever. I don't like green. So I'm a broccoli casserole, see you, you know, it's mashed potatoes, it's turkey, it's cranberry sauce, you know, and I'm, I'm going to have to decide what I put on my plate. Nothing, you're not going to be able to fit everything on our plate. So in our lives, we have to do the same thing. Most of us have overcrowded plates because we're so busy. And, and listen to me, what happens to even well-intending people who love God is they don't have any room on their plates for God, and so they always push God to the side. Well, if I go through the line the second time, maybe I'll get a helping of God. Maybe someday when my kids grow up or I retire or, or, or whatever, someday I'll make room for God. 
So we have to make a conscious decision to leave room for God on the plate. I would even go as far to say, if your life is an empty plate, make sure God's on there first in the middle and then put everything around that plate. So this means that we have to cut some things out of our schedule, even good things. Busyness can absolutely wreck our relationship with God. Another thing, which I believe is the evil step-cousin to busyness, another thing that clutters our soul is distraction. We have to work on this. We have to begin to eliminate as much distraction as possible. Okay, so things like television, radio, talk shows, social media, they are not bad in and of themselves, but a lot of times they serve as huge distractions. It would be good for our soul to maybe not watch as much TV, to maybe not listen to as much talk show radio, to maybe not scroll down as much on our social media page, pages. Quietness can be awkward, but quietness is good for the soul. Most people get up in the morning, turn the TV on, get ready for work, jump in the car, throw the radio on, go to work, come home, listen to the radio from work, get home, scroll down their Facebook page, watch social media or watch TV, and then they go to bed. And then they leave absolutely no room for quietness. It's in the quietness that God speaks to us. Quietness is so good for the soul. And so uh, what I've been doing lately is I only have like a 16-minute drive to church, you know, to work. I love that. I don't have to ever really fight traffic. Uh, but normally I would throw on talk radio, listen to, to sports, uh, but now I don't. I just use that 16 minutes to just drive in, in, in quietness and not be distracted. And it's amazing when you spend just a few minutes in quietness without all the noise, you strip away the noise, your mind can go into some really weird, but also some really cool places. It causes you to reflect on your mortality. It causes you to reflect on the goodness and the holiness of God. So we've got to work on getting rid of distraction. Busyness and distraction feed off of each other. Most of us are living at such breakneck speeds or breakneck paces in life that when we do finally get a minute, all we want to do is kind of let our minds veg out. And so we'll turn on the TV or we'll open up Facebook and, and we just want to have these mind-numbing experiences. Nothing wrong with that. There are times when we need that. But here's what happens. We're so busy on one hand, and so distracted on the other end, what gets left out? Who gets left out? God. And one thing the Bible makes explicitly clear is that God is our source of life. God is the creator, the originator of all life. And God actually breathes his life into us. Now, we don't, we, we don't always ignore God because we're lazy or we're rebellious, do we? Just because we're busy and distracted. I want to take you back to the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 2. 
uh, real quick, and this is God's creation account. Um, when he's creating the earth, the heavens and the earth, uh, and in verse 7 of Genesis 2, he's created man. And here's what it says, the Lord formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Some other translations, that word is actually a living soul. Okay, and so what God did for Adam, he does for us. He breathes life into our souls. And I want you to understand something. He can do it daily if we let him. But if our souls are so busy and so distracted and so cluttered, there's no room for him to do that for us. I want to read a scripture that's been invaluable to me. It's a well-known scripture. It's just the first line in Psalm 46.10. It simply says, be still and know that I am God. Now, how do you know that he's God? By being still. That still, small voice. Slow down. You're not as important as you think you are. Remove some distractions. The world, when you die, is still going to go on. Be still and know that he is God. And so one of the best ways we can free our soul is to slow down and focus on God. Remove the clutter from life caused by busyness and distraction, and it will begin to feed our soul. This leads to point number two, and, and, and fret not, all the points aren't this long, so you're not going to be here till midnight. Um, number two, number one is declutter your soul, and number two is devote, devote yourself to the Word of God. So devoting myself to, to, to the Word of God means I reevaluate, reevaluate my schedule, I eliminate some distractions, and I'm making room, hear me, for the voice of God. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but God seldom shouts over the cacophony of messages that we're allowing into our mind each day, but rather He waits for our hearts to be quiet and still and turn to Him. And then He speaks truth into our hearts from His Word, which comforts us, gives us rest, heals our wounded and broken spirits. He does this in his word, the Bible. So, so rather than me stand up here and give you a bunch of illustrations about how important it is for you to be in the word of God, uh, let me just show you from the word of God and let God speak to you from his word on the importance of being in his word. <clears throat> Psalm 107, I'm going to read these uh, four scriptures. Don't fall asleep. Psalm 107, 14, or 19 and 20. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Proverbs 4, 20 and 22. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let, let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them. Life to those who find them, and healing to all of their flesh. 
John 8, 31 and 32, this is red letter. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Psalm 119, 11, I have stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, God's Word brings healing to our souls. It brings truth that leads to freedom. The, the Word of God is just so, so important. Gaylord Kambari was the general secretary of the Bible Society in Zimbabwe. And he had a habit of just giving out New Testaments. And he once gave a New Testament to a very belligerent man. And the man insisted, he said, you give me this Bible, I'm, I'm going to use it. I'm going to tear the pages out of the Bible and use it to roll up and make my cigarettes. Well, Kambari said, well, I understand that, but at least promise to read the page of the New Testament before you smoke it. And the man agreed, and the two went on their separate ways. Fifteen years later, they happened to meet at a, con a, a convention in Zimbabwe, and the scripture-smoking pagan had been saved, and he was now a full-time preacher. And he told his audience this, quote, I smoked Matthew, I smoked Mark, I smoked Luke, but I got to John 3.16, and I couldn't smoke anymore. My life was changed from that moment, end of quote. And then he asked the audience this, he said, aren't you glad that God's book is more than just words on a paper. You know, they're not just words on a paper. The Bible is the Word of God which brings life and nourishment to the soul. The Bible is a lot like a telescope. If a man puts, or a woman, puts their eye here, and points this thing up at the sky, they're going to be able to see worlds beyond. It's, it's, it's awesome if you've never used a telescope. But if all they do is look at the telescope like this, what are they going to see? A telescope. The Bible, God's Word, is a, th is a thing to be looked through to see that which is beyond, the magnitude, the righteousness, the holiness, the goodness, the loveliness of God. But most people look at it, and all they see is the letter of the law. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't hang out with people that do. Okay, I've got that. And they just see the letter of the law. But there is a difference between looking at and looking through. This is our telescope to God. This is how we see worlds beyond a righteous, holy, loving Father. So don't look at the Bible as words, but rather look through the Bible and see the hand of God at work. So we declutter our soul. We devote yourselves to the Word of God. And I made all these start with D. You know, I'm not in the habit of doing that. It went against every fiber in my body. But number three, determine who you're going to be yoked to. Determine who you're going to be yoked to. 
So for this, I want to take you over to the book of Matthew chapter 11. I like this scripture because it talks about yoking and it talks about your soul. (coughs) Matthew 11, this is Jesus talking, picking up in verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So I want you to understand this here. Jesus is calling out to all of us who are heavy laden, who are tired who are weary, who have souls that are restless. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, who's a minister up in Virginia this week, and, you know, I asked him how he was doing. He said, well, you know, I'm doing good. Well, he, he said what we all say first, busy. I'm just so busy. But um, about two minutes into the conversation, he said, man, I, life just keeps coming at me. And isn't that the truth? Like, just when you think you've got life figured out, just when you think you've got all your ducks in a row, someone or something comes along to mess the whole thing up. Your car breaks down, your oven breaks down, a recession hits, you lose your job, someone you trust betrays you, you get a positive report from the lab, uh, rejection notice shows up, the death of a loved one stops everything in in its tracks. And so we pretend that we have all these things under control, but we know that all it takes is one single moment in time to absolutely shatter that illusion. And so knowing this is true, we worry, we grow anxious, we get angry, we lose our patience, we grow desperate, we don't see a way out, we scramble for options, we grow discouraged, sometimes we even give up. But what if... A, what if loving God with all of our soul meant that no matter what the outside circumstances, whatever those circumstances are, whatever comes our way, that we will continue to trust that our soul, our very life is firmly rooted in a foundation that will never be shaken. The operative phrase in this passage for me is when Jesus says, You will find rest for your souls. I just look around and see a world full of restless souls, man. People that are stressed out, worried about things they have no control over. How do we find this rest for our souls that Jesus is talking about? Well, it's a simple matter of who you are yoked to, who you belong to. In the text, Jesus says something that would be strange to us. He says, take my yoke upon you. A yoke was this wooden frame that was put on the backs of animals around their necks, and they would join two animals together, a lot of times oxes, for a common task. And what they typically did is they would take a very old, strong, sturdy ox who knew how to plow a straight line, 
and they would take a, a young, immature, still growing, not as strong ox and yoke them together. And that older, sturdier, stronger ox would teach this young ox how to pull a load correctly. Okay, so in the text, Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. In other words, don't picture two oxes there together. Picture Jesus and you being yoked together. Now, I want to ask you a question. If you are yoked together with Christ, who do you think is pulling the lion's share of the load in your life? Jesus, obviously. I cannot emphasize this enough. If we would just trust that God is God and he knows what he's doing, he is good, he has a purpose. If we would just realize that if we yoked ourselves to Jesus Christ by trusting him, our life would be so much easier, even when it's not easy. Take my yoke upon you. He would say, my yoke is light. So I want to challenge you this morning to make it a priority, to declutter your soul. Just get rid of some things. Get rid of some noise and some distraction and replace it with being consistent with the Word of God. It'll breathe life into you. And then begin to pray. I mean, really legitimately fully pray that you want to be yoked to Jesus Christ, not yoked to the world. You want to let him take the lead with your thoughts and your emotions and your will, with your very soul. And when we do that, we can begin to walk around in a confidence, the same confidence the, the Apostle Paul had, that, that no matter what life throws your way, in the end, you know, it is well with my soul. You let your soul rest in the arms of Jesus, no matter what the circumstances, and I promise you, it will be well with your soul. So I want to close with a story that I, I actually used not too long ago, um, but it's just a good story, so I'm going to use it again. Horatio Spafford <clears throat> was this prominent American lawyer who lived in the <clears throat> mid-19th century, but in spite of his prominence, uh, he was also a man who faced his share of heartbreaking circumstances. In 1871, his son died at the age of four years old. That was his only son. That was the same year that the great Chicago fire left him in personal financial ruin. Two years later, he was scheduled to travel to Europe with his family, but he had to send his wife and his four daughters ahead of him uh, because he was working out some zoning problems that were created by the sh pre-mentioned Chicago fire. Well, while, cro while crossing the Atlantic Ocean ahead of him, the ship his family was on collided with a sailing ship and sank rapidly. Tragically, all four of Horatio Spafford's remaining children, his four daughters, drowned at sea. Only his wife, Anna, survived. When she reached Europe safely, she sent him the now famous telegram with the news that just simply read, saved alone. Now, now just for a minute, I, I would like you to pause and consider this man's life. I mean, I've got five children. I cannot imagine, I can't even begin to imagine 
what it was like, the circumstances that he faced. Honestly, I'm not so sure that that wouldn't just absolutely crush me. Well, as some of you know, however, these circumstances didn't crush, didn't crush Horatio Spafford. In fact, shortly after he got the news of the tragedy, he boarded a ship to go meet his grieving wife. As the ship eventually passed the very spot where his four daughters had drowned, Horatio Spafford was inspired to write the words of a song which ever since have been sung around the world. The song is titled, It Is Well With My Soul. Listen to the words he wrote. Some say he wrote these as he was watching the waves that actually took his daughter's lives. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Love the Lord your God with all of your soul. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.